A few months before Betty's second birthday, she and I were meeting with a man who was helping us to figure out our grocery cart problem. Betty had outgrown her infant seat, but she still didn't have the strength to sit up on her own. And even when we strapped her into a grocery cart, she would slump to the side. For a few months, the solution was just leaving her with a babysitter when I went shopping or waiting until her dad got home from work and going late at night. Finally, we turned to a local agency whose sole mission is to innovate for people who have disabilities. As we finished up our chat and made a plan, he said, You know, in the whole history of the world, there's never been a better time to have a disability. I paused, a little confused, and nodded, but as I walked to my car, I thought about it and agreed. We live in a time of innovation and technology. Governments and communities are making life and education and play more accessible, and inclusion secures opportunities for students with disabilities to learn alongside their non-disabled peers. Certainly, we are blessed to live in a time when there are so many resources available to us that are meant to make life easier for our families. But there's one thing that makes a tremendous difference in the life of a child, something that's been around since the beginning of time, the love of a mother. In January of 2013, my baby girl Betty was born. Later, we discovered she had a chromosomal deletion that would affect the rest of her life. I created this podcast to share the stories and struggles of special needs children and their families. This is episode 20 of Bringing Up Betty. I'm Sarah Evans. Donna Kirk and her husband, Ed, were expecting their first baby in 1970, more than 40 years ago. The highly anticipated birth of their son went from magical to alarming in a matter of minutes. Well, he was, we found out before he was born that that he was in the breech position. And and, um, in in those days, he was born in in, uh, 1970. Uh, They didn't do C-sections just as a matter of course. And... um, I went into labor, and he the, the the long and the short story is that he came down the birth canal much too quickly, and he got stuck, and his arms were over his head. The cord was wrapped wrapped around his neck, and he lost oxygen. So that was that was really what happened to him. He was uh, uh, severely brain damaged from the from the lack of oxygen. While Donna was in the hospital recovering for several days, their son Matthew was transferred to the NICU at Sick Kids Hospital. The pediatrician who revived him was was a wonderful man, but um, his prognosis, he said, you know, Matthew seems to be a strong baby. Let's hope that he lives through the night. And uh, if he does, tomorrow we'll send him down to SickKids Hospital, which is a major hospital um, actually in the world for children. And um, he, so that's all we heard from him. And Matthew was transferred to SickKids. And then when we got down there, um, you know, um, days later, uh, the head pediatrician told me that my child was a vegetable with a heartbeat and uh, would never know us, uh, would never uh, uh, progress beyond the, the newborn stage and to institutionalize him and forget about him and have another baby as soon as possible. You're never prepared to hear that your child's a vegetable, but we certainly knew that he was in trouble. Um, so that was not a shock. However, the the callousness of of this man, I I will never recover from. 
Donna refused to accept this doctor's bleak outlook and set out to prove him wrong. And uh, we, we absolutely adored our child. He was beautiful. And uh, we ignored the diagnosis. And, um, and I'm very glad that we did because Matthew certainly proved everybody wrong and uh, was a person of accomplishment throughout his life. When the time came to take Matthew home, Donna and Ed were pretty much on their own. In 1970, in Canada, there was not a formal early intervention program. Not at all. There was nothing in those days. And and uh, he went to Peter Pan Nursery absolutely when he was, gosh, I, th- I guess he was nearly two, probably one and a half, nearly two. Um, and that, that they were wonderful with him. And it was all children with, with developmental disabilities. And uh, that, that was a huge help to me. And, of course, his swimming was really the best thing that we could have ever done for him because he was an amazing swimmer. When Matthew was about 18 months old, his parents enrolled him in Jack Buckler Aquatics, a swimming program for children with disabilities. The program touted positive effects of water therapy on heart health, lung capacity, and muscle tone, all things that Matthew needed help with. And he was on national TV, and and then, of course, we took him back down to the doctor who called him a vegetable, and that was really my finest hour, I can tell you to have that doctor take a look at him and say, gosh, he's, he's really remarkable. I felt like saying, yeah, he is remarkable, you know. Matthew became a proficient swimmer as a young toddler, and swimming became one of his favorite things. That continued well into his adulthood. Oh, he was a show-off. He was a grandstander and a show-off. I mean, his swimming was his it was just sort of crowning glory thing. And, and um, I remember when we took him to Florida and, on many times and with his caregiver who he lived with. And uh, she was unpacking their suitcases and he saw his bathing suit. So I said to her, I said to Maggie, let's, we'll take him, we'll take him swimming. And, and so let you get the room set up because of course she was putting all things, small things away, all that kind of stuff. So he gets his bathing suit on and we trot down to the pool and People are look up and see him coming, and of course he's got a cerebral palsy gait, and he's he's making funny noises, and he has scoliosis, and he's he's you know he's obviously a handicapped person. So we approach this the swimming pool, and this elderly couple is that we're sitting right by the pool, and the man jumps up and he pulls a chair over for Matthew, and he says, "Here you are, big boy. This is you can sit here." And people are very good, you know, very kind. So um, Matthew sits sits down and, and we introduce ourselves to the couple and the, the lady says to and Matthew at this point was oh gosh he was well into his 20s and well well into his maybe even 30 and the woman said oh Matthew are you here on spring break and I'm because he looks so young so I mean I'm thinking oh my god I hope she's translating that youth to me I hope she, I hope I look that young you know so anyhow, she sits beside Matthew and she's talking to him. And of course, he's giving her sign language, asking for coffee and a drink. And, and you know, and we're just laughing because she doesn't know what he's saying. And, and I didn't bother interpreting it. So and he, then he grabs her hand, stands up and grabs her hand and they walk to the edge of the pool. And she follows them. She's absolutely charmed by this kid. And they sit down on the pool steps and she's, you know, putting water on his legs and she's saying, oh, Matthew, doesn't that feel good? And don't worry, I won't let you fall in. And I thought, oh, boy, here it comes. He let go of her hand and he stood up and he went belly flopping right into the water, like smack right in his face. Boom. I thought she was going to have a heart attack. And everybody around the pool jumped up. The chairs were clattering. They jumped up, raced to the pool. And, of course, my husband and I, it's our finest hour. 
And I just said, oh, that's all right, folks. He's a great swimmer. And, you know, and they're all like, oh, my God, I've never seen anything like it. Look at him swim. He can swim better than me. And I, and I thought, yes. And he's a person with a handicap. Look at him go. It was, that was honestly one of the finest moments of my life. And those, those people for that week, big, here comes big boy, let's go swimming, big boy. They just loved him. So this is why you never give up on the kid. You know, you just, because they're going to do things that are wonderful. With a lot of dedication from Donna and Ed, Matthew made a lot of progress. Their struggles were real, but they loved their son. One of the toughest things was dealing with other people. I mean, th- this was in the very beginning stages. I mean, Matthew wasn't, he wasn't two. It was before we took him to swimming class and we're in the lineup and, and um, I've got him in the little cart and he's, his legs are sticking through the two holes. And, but I have to hold him up because he can't sit. And he's about 18 months old, I, I think, at this time. And this woman behind is eyeing him, it, it, giving him that look. And all of us with a child with a disability know what I mean when I say that look. Her head is tilted. She's, you know, oh, she's, she's something's wrong with this child. So I'm loading the groceries with my right hand, holding him up with my left. And she says to me, oh, how old is your baby? And I say 18 months. And she says, oh, and he's not sitting up yet. And I'm no, he's not. And I'm starting to get emotional. I'm starting to get emotional. And she looks at him again. She says, is he retarded? And I just, I just, I grabbed him out of the buggy. And I, I was crying at this point. And I said to her, not as retarded as you are. And she was horrified. And I was so upset. I cried all the way home, phoned my husband when I got home. And he said, you know, he said, you're going to have to learn how to handle people better because he says, you're not doing Matthew any favors and you're not doing yourself any favors. So that's when I devised my plan of positive sort of intervention, if you like. Um, People would ask questions and I would adopt a smiling, happy attitude, even though I felt like smacking them. I would smile and say, yes, you know, he isn't he wonderful. He's just learned to do this or he's 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 two years old and he's he can swim underwater. And thank you for asking. And, you know, if you you can turn people around, that's what I learned. You can you can. And then they think they take another look and they think, wow, this kid is amazing. Rather than being so defensive and, you know, and you go home miserable if you're defensive. You're miserable if you're defensive, period. You're just unhappy. But if you project a positive attitude, even though you might be having your worst day with this kid, people will say, gosh, I I really admire you. And then you say, oh, no, please admire Matthew. He's the one who's doing all the hard work, even though you know darn well you're working day and night. But it's it's all about being positive. Um, And I think that you'll have bad days. And if you can think um, in a more positive light, the bad days won't be as bad. And I think it's our job to make their experience a good one. Those people I'm talking about make their experience a more positive one than 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 being told off because they're not going to learn anything, not a thing. They're just going to think that this poor kid really is suffering as opposed to um, this child. Oh, this kid really can do things and is, um, oh, my gosh, you know, isn't this wonderful that he can swim and that he can, you know, whatever you've chosen to share then this person, the person's attitude changes instantly. By the time Matthew was three years old, he was a big brother to two younger siblings. 
By the time he was eight years old, his parents were so exhausted that they had to make some changes. Matthew left our home when he was eight years old. He um, did not sleep at night. Um, he would go to bed at you know the normal time, and then he'd be up at two o'clock in the morning, and he'd be screaming for a couple of hours. And this was every night, and that that pattern never changed throughout his whole life. It didn't alter at Oaklands. It didn't alter when he lived um, in his own home. Um, fortunately, the caregiver who looked after him then was a a wonderful person who was able to catnap during the day. Um, but I, my husband and I, we were absolutely exhausted by the time he was eight. And so, um, our family doctor said, look, you know, and, and by that time he was, he was eight, he wasn't toilet trained and, um, he had just started to walk and we felt that we could no longer help him. We just, we were at a loss to know what more we could do to help him. And the doctor said, look, let's, you know, sign him up for this home and if you don't like it you can you can always take him out and you can always cancel the the reservation that we make so we did and he went there and within 3 months they had, had he was using the toilet correctly and he was uh, dressing himself uh, feeding himself better um so we could see that there was some benefit but it was an institution and i never forgot that i hated it i just it was it was congregate care which was which i was really against and so when we finally found this home and he was um that was in 1993 um 19 excuse me 1995 um it was many years later um he we were just absolutely overjoyed and I, and I was so happy that he was able to live for many years in a, in a happier situation, we thought, for him. Certainly it was obvious, and certainly for us. Uh, it, it's, it, and now those institutions are closed. Now, Oakland's Regional Centre, where Matthew went, is still open, and they still have certain residents who have lived there for, like, 40 years or more. But they're no longer accepting um, new uh, new admissions. So, uh, and for some folks, it worked out just fine. Uh, but for our son, I just felt that he would die if we if, if he stayed there. And 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 we would all die if he came to live with us because you, you he was you couldn't really we just couldn't care for him in the manner that that he deserved and that that he needed. Because, as you know, as a mother and a caregiver, you cannot be on duty 24-7. You just, it's impossible. During his time in the institution, Donna and Ed made sure that Matthew was still a huge part of their family. And they made sure that he got all the attention he needed to get out and into the community. Oh, he, he was home um, all day Sunday, every week. And Wednesday he would come home um, uh, after... Uh, work and um he, he would spend the afternoon with and the evening with us and all day sunday and then we hired people to take him out um young people who were uh, sort of learning the um developmental taking the developmental services course and uh, they would take him out in the evenings that take him out in the afternoons take him swimming take him into the community so that he wasn't just there with a bunch of other people uh, which is what I really didn't want. I wanted him to have special attention. And um, one of the young women we hired was in his life for many, many years. 
And um, so that it was all that was all very positive. So he didn't he, he wasn't sitting around with with folks um, unattended, um, you know, seven days a week. As Matthew grew older, he learned to communicate his needs and his wishes. He got a job. He loved his time in the community. But other things became more difficult. New issues arose as Matthew got older. Matthew always had sort of a discontrol syndrome, if you like. He, he had these little, um, what today they call them meltdowns. And um, we just assumed it was part of the brain damage. And I think in actual fact, it really was, um, although we searched for other, many other answers. Um, and that was always present in his life. And as he got older, um, into his teens, then he started this pika swallowing behavior, which was very disconcerting. And he had um, he'd swallow, which and pika disorder is swallowing inedible objects, not uncommon in brain damaged children, not a, um, and, but it was certainly uncommon to us. We'd never heard of it. And he had many surgeries to remove things like um, pens, pencils, uh, whole toothbrushes from his stomach. And he um, he became very ill in 1993 when he swallowed a rubber glove and it got lodged in his intestines and uh, it burst the bowel and he had to have a section of the bowel removed and a stoma built to um, expel the fetal matter, fecal matter from his bowels until they could be reconnected about three months later. So that was a huge uh, wake up call for us and a, and a, and a big tip off that there was something really wrong. And um, at that time, he was living in um, an institution for children and adults with developmental disabilities. And we, we actually did not like uh, every day he spent there. We, we, we looked for something better. We learned to understand when this, that these kind of incidents were most likely to occur. And that was when he'd have what we called uh, a rage episode where he'd his, his mood would change and he'd yell and twirl. Um, and then we knew that, that a swallowing incident probably was in the next hour or a couple of days. We just uh, battened down the hatches. And now we kept most everything, all small things locked up anyway. But it was amazing what, uh, what he could find when he wanted to. And this, uh, this disorder that he developed uh, pushed us to find the ultimate great solution for him, which was... Uh, we had him transferred to to an agency um, north of us, and they um, they had a, a program they called Home Share, and um, uh, we were able to get a house for Matthew, and he lived with one caregiver and her two daughters, and that was absolutely the best possible situation for him. So out of a difficult situation, we it pushed us to find something that was better for him, better for us um, in the long haul. So. And he lived uh, with this lady for 15 years until he died. Brampton Caledon Community Living was the agency. And they're, they're, they had a mentoring program called Home Share, whereby an individual with a handicapping condition lived in their own home with one caregiver. And um, Matthew was a very lucky boy. My aunt and uncle had never had children. And they, when they passed on, they left money to him um, in a trust. And so with that money... We, uh, we, we bought the house. We put a down payment on a house for him. So he was a very lucky young man. Matthew's improved housing situation also improved his health. But then there were more problems to face. One issue would get mostly resolved, and then another would surface. 
his circumstances changed to a more calm environment, um, a more more loving environment, an environment that was more focused on him as an individual. And number two, um, the, the caregiver, where there was one person looking after one person, if you like. So she kept an eye, a better eye on him, as did we when he was home. And I think he was happier um, in his life. And then I, I think all these things. I mean, you don't really know because he didn't he didn't talk. But and then he um, um, and, and this went along really well for uh, about 13 or 14 years. And then it started to worsen. Um, the swallowing um, um, happened again, but then it stopped and he started banging his head. And um, we got a wonderful psychiatrist for him. And he said, well, you know, the, the compromised brain ages much more quickly. And the discontrol, the discontrol syndrome, um, syndrome is probably worse. And he's, um, he, his, it's his, to, a lot to do with his aging brain. And he called it um, his anxiety and agitated depression. And we tried many medications um, for the two years prior to his death. Nothing really changed anything um, any, for an, any significant period of time. But um, he had periods where he was calm and happy that were, that were longer than, than they, they had been in his younger years. And um, the final solution was supposed to be um, electric shock therapy. And unfortunately, he died before he would, could ever um, take that. And so we never really knew if, in fact, that therapy would have worked. And that, that was my biggest disappointment, that he, hadn't, he, he, was, he died before we could ever try it. On the morning of July 6th, 2010, Matthew died due to complications of pneumonia. He was 40 years old. I think that's the best possible support you could ever ask for, acceptance and understanding and real true like really truly loving the person despite you know climbing over the fact that they're handicapped and just acceptance i mean that's what we want for our children i mean if you have a kid who, who wears thick glasses you want that child to be accepted i mean for you that's the most important thing that kids don't laugh at him or her because they've got these bottle bottom glasses or the same for your child with a difference. I mean, you want them to be accepted. And, and I think that's what we're all striving for. And self-esteem, that's so important. Make that kid feel good. I mean, I used to say to him every day, oh, Matthew Kirk, you're so fabulous. And, and oh, you're such a great, look at you. And he walked with his head up, that kid. He did. He, he just, he thought he was fabulous. And he was. It's, it's, um, it's trying, but um, no, I, I just, um, I'm so glad that he was born to me. Donna's dedication to her son has taught her a myriad of lessons, lessons that she wants to share with the world. This is my mission, is to get the word out and, uh, and help people, because really, uh, there is help, and, and there's love, and there's, there's you know, accomplishment for these kids. I mean, they, they, there is, and um, that, that's, as I say, it's my, it's my mission. I wanted to uh, get the word out that these kids are, particularly somebody like Matthew, who had a, such a poor uh, prognosis, that you can have a life, that you, you know, that, that, that everybody loves you, that people are amazed by. I mean, people say he's an amazing boy. I mean, he was 40 when he died, but he was good. He's a boy. And, uh, and, and the, 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 my, my finest thing was that, that he did overcome, you know, the, the, the prognosis. And he, he was just absolutely fabulous. And, and uh, I couldn't have been happier with him.
I mean, he, he just did so well. Today's episode is brought to you by Easy Peasy. Easy Peasy is a family-run startup that makes all-in-one silicone servingware. The Easy Peasy Happy Mat has changed our life as a family. It suctions directly to our dining room table and serves as a divided plate, a placemat, and it can't be flung. All of this to say, Betty is able to eat dinner with our family at the table, like the rest of us. Tested and approved for your average messy toddler, Easy Peasy is also helping kids and adults with autism, low vision, CP, and other disabilities eat independently for the first time. Use the promo code BETTY at checkout to save 20% on your order. Just visit easypeasyfun.com. That's E-Z-P-Z-F-U-N.com. Donna Kirk is a writer living in Oakville, Ontario, Canada. You can find her on the web at donnakirk.com. If you're interested in learning more about Matthew's story, look for the book Finding Matthew at a library or bookstore near you. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to keep up with Bringing Up Betty on Facebook and Instagram. And if you want to stay in the loop, join our mailing list. Visit bringingupbetty.com news to sign up.